welcome all our visitors. Uh, it may be that you are watching us online live at this moment at www.abundantlifelv.org, or you may be listening to us at uh, uh, KKVV 1060 AM. We are thrilled to have you, and we hope that you may even join us one day uh, here for uh, this wonderful worship service. Our speaker today is our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. He will be bringing us the message today, and so I invite you to take your Bibles and join us as we study God's Word together. Before he comes to speak to us, we will hear again from our children's choir, then after which you will hear the voice of our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock, hear ye him.
Amen, brothers and sisters. Our children, thank you, Sister Murphy, Sister Brown, and others. Thank you to all the parents. You see that your children are in their proper places in the various programs of the church. This is a little unusual, what I propose to do now, but I can't help but when I think of miracles that I think about you, Brother Hollywell, Brother Larry, and the miracle God has done for you and for us. He is a brother who left us almost a year ago, went to the VA hospital waiting for a heart transplant and a kidney finally. He waited and waited and didn't know what was going to happen, but finally, Several weeks ago, it did happen. And today, for the first time, he's able to come out in public and be among us. A man literally with a new heart. Raise your hand, wave the same. How many of you brought your Bibles today? You see Bible? I want to see, make sure, because we're going to do some Bible study today. All right, good. It's not just an ornament. It's with us. Shall we bow our heads? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the miracle of conversion, for the miracle of Jesus' great sacrifice in our behalf, for the miracle that occurs when we open this book and sincerely pray and study. And we ask that that miracle shall transcend our feebleness, our inadequacy, and bless and strengthen every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Song of Solomon. Solomon's Song, it's listed in some Bibles but the Song of Solomon. And I want to read initially from Song of Solomon, chapter four, verses 10 to 12. Song of Solomon, chapter four, verses 10 to 12. And hold on to your Bible because we will be focusing very, very deeply in the Word. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse? How much better is thy love than wine, and the smell of thine ointments than all spices? Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue. And the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. The topic for the day is, here comes the bride. Here comes the bride. And the verses we have just read are the words of a young lover to his betrothed 
to his intended or to his bride-to-be. These two people are engaged, looking forward to marriage, but separated by circumstances. This is the background here. Solomon is the third of the main characters of this book, Song of Solomon. He's the third character in the story. And he could write all about it. He could really unravel this love story like nobody else because he was responsible for the separation of these lovers. He had interfered with their plans for marriage. And finally, he had, as we shall see as the story ends, he had, in spite of being responsible for their separation, worked out a plan where they might be back together again. And the whole book, Song of Solomon, is all about how this happened. It is a true love story, and the best title I could think to introduce it to you is the one I've given, Here Comes the Bride. Now, it all begins, as far as the recitation of the experience, in verse 1, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, which says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Now notice, the Bible says, it is the Song of Songs, Ron 2. You know what that means? That means it is the greatest of all the songs that Solomon wrote. And that is saying something, Sister Brown. That's saying something big because Solomon, according to 1 Kings 4.37, Solomon wrote 1,005 different songs. And for Solomon to say this is the song of all the 1,500 I've written, it must be a powerful song. And it is a song. We don't have the, the melody, but we have the words and the verses to this song. This was actually a song that Solomon wrote. Verse 2 proceeds with the words of the maiden herself. And she says, in thinking about her lover, let, me, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Now this is a Shulamite maiden, the Bible tells us, a country girl who was deeply in love with a young shepherd boy. Her father had apparently died, for as the story unfolds, she lived with her mother and her brothers, who were also shepherds. And one day, she was out visiting in the countryside when she encountered Solomon, King Solomon, with his gaudy entourage. And Solomon was struck with her beauty. And when he spied this young damsel, this beautiful woman, Solomon, who seemed to have had an eye for beauty, demanded that she be 
arrested or confiscated and brought in as part of his harem, his collection of women. And so this young woman was swept up without being able to say goodbye to her mother or her brothers. She was taken from her land and put on the caravan and taken away with Solomon to Jerusalem back to headquarters. And once at the capital, Jerusalem, Solomon did all he could to gain her favor. He wanted her affections. And so he wooed her and said sweet things to her, but all in vain. Her heart belonged to the shepherd lover back home. And try as he might, Solomon was unsuccessful all through this book, this song that he wrote about the experience. He was unsuccessful in his attempts. And finally, he did let her go. And as we shall see, there is a happy ending. But here, she finds herself in Solomon's clutches, a part of his harem. And she is thinking about her lover back home. And so she writes, as she thinks of him, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For thy love, sweet lover, is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, she says, and we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers, verse 4. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember that love. She's speaking in the universal we language. She's thinking of herself and her love. And verse 5, she says, I am black but comely. O ye daughters of Jerusalem. Now she's talking to the other maidens in Solomon's harem. I am black but comely. And that's interesting because she was probably from one of those Bedouin tribes, Bedouin tribes, and was of dark complexion. And the other lady saw her and heard her. And as she continued with her litany of love for her shepherd man, they said to her in verse 8, If thou know not, O thou fairest of women, if you hear and you're dreaming like this and you're scheming like this, O thou fairest of women, of women go thy way why don't you leave here why do you stick with us knowing she couldn't really get away go thy way go forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents and then in verse 9 Solomon himself enters the picture and he says I have compared thee O my love to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots and Solomon is giving her high praise. He says, oh, you beautiful thing, you. Oh, oh, you wonderful, lovely woman. I've compared you to a mare in Solomon's horses, driving, leading Solomon's chariots. Thy cheeks are comely with rolls of jewels, thy neck with chains of gold. We will make thee borders of gold and studs of silver. So he starts promising this beautiful young lady. So what he's going to do? And then she responds, beginning in verse 13, A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved with me. He shall lie all night betwixt my breasts. 
My beloved is unto me as a cluster of campfire in the vineyards of Engade. And so now she's dreaming about her marriage. And she's, breath she's breathing out her sonnet of love about her shepherd lover by home, back home. And she continues to describe her lover. Verse 15, Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved, yea, pleasant. Also our bed is green. The beams of our house are cedar, and our rafters are fir. And so she responds to Solomon's flattery by describing her lover and by telling of her dreams to be back with him soon, to be back someday. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, she pauses to confess that she doesn't feel all that beautiful. And she says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. And the strict interpretation is that she was really simply saying, there's nothing much to me. I'm just one flower in the garden. I'm just one person among the many. But then in verse 2, the other maidens who are part of Solomon's harem answer her. And they say, as the lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Or at least she herself continues in developing the scheme. As the lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of wood, so is my beloved. Speaking of her, her man, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Stay with me, verse 5, with flagons. Comfort me with apples, for I am sick with love. She was literally sick, lovesick for, for her mate, for her betrothed. Verse 6, his hand is under my head. She's exhausted now. She's tired of all of Solomon's approaches, and she's tired and she's worn, and she's saying, stay with me. And, and when we are together again, you can comfort me with your arms. I'll fall into your arms and you can comfort me explicitly. And she continues in her description of her beloved in verse 8. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe. Some of you young men who want to know how to talk to a young lady, this is a lexicon. Listen, listen to Brother Solomon while he pours it on. And we can't read every verse, but he continues to comfort her. And she continues with this response. And in verse 9, she starts describing her lover again. My beloved is like a roe. He's like a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows. She said, there were nights. When I was up in my bedroom, in my house, in my mother's house, and he would come down by the wall, and he would sing to me, and I would come and open the windows. Hey, you thought that television was... Somebody ought to put this on TV. Here is Solomon, and he's writing about all of this that he saw go on and that he recognizes was a part 
of her experience. And she continues, verses 16 and 17, she says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies until the day break, and the shadows flee away. My beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bethia. And then things change. In chapter 3, beginning at verse 6, something happens. She seeks, she ceases all this description and all of this praise of her lover, and she recounts the journey that they made to Jerusalem. Verse 6, who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke? This is a description of Solomon and his entourage, and evidently there were great plumes of smoke going up from his caravan. And she said, who is this that's coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, and with all powders of the merchants? Behold his bed, which is Solomon's, Threescore valiant men, 60 men, were carrying that bed where Solomon was resting when he found me. They all had swords, verse 8. Being experts in war, every man hath his sword upon his thigh because of fear in the night. King Solomon made himself a chariot of wood, verse 9, verse 10. He made pillars thereof, and she goes on to describe what it was like when she saw him. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, something very wonderful happens here in this Song of Solomon. Verse 1, chapter 4. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair, thou hast dove's eyes. Within thy locks thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Now you see, beneath the surface, what we discern is that the lover makes his appearance. All the rest of this, of verses 1, 2, and 3, chapters 1, 2, and 3, there is this conversation and this experience. But now the shepherd lover himself appears. And from chapter 4, verse 1, to chapter 5, verse 1, he seeks her and he finds her, and uh, the description of beauty, the great array of accolades continues between them. Thy teeth are like a flock, she says to him, of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from washing, whereof every one bear twins, and none is barren among them. And then she goes on to talk about his physical being. Verse 3, thy lips are like a thread of scarlet and thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. Thy neck is like the tower of David. And then he speaks to her, thy two breasts are like two young roes that are twins which feed among the lilies. Until the daybreak and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh. Verse 7, thou art all fair, my love, there is no spot in thee. And it goes on and on throughout chapter 4, on into chapter 5. And in chapter 5, verse 2, the maiden begins to speak again. And, and stick with me, I want you to get it all. Chapter 5, 
Verse 2, I sleep, she says, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved knocking, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. Verse 4, my beloved put his hand by the hole of the door and my bowels were moved for him. You see, back in Bible days, the seat of emotion was not thought to be the heart, but the bowels. We talk about my heart is sick. Well, they would say my bowels are hurting. It was for them, that was where the seat of emotions were. And she says, I am sick for my lover. I'm here. I want to get out of here. He's come to, to, to get me. I hope he can rescue me. I hope he can take me out of this misery. And while she and he are corresponding in verse 9, the other maidens speak again and they say, What is this? What is thy beloved more than another beloved? So they say to the Shulamite maiden, You know, what's so special about him? Why do you love him so much? What is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women. And this is sort of a cynical remark. You're so pretty. You're so beautiful. What's so great about him? O thou fairest among women. What is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? Why are you burdening us with this description of love? Why are you telling us about his neck and his feet and his hair and his teeth? Why are you so sick? Why are you so overcome with love? She continues as she responds in verse 11, chapter 5, his head, his head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as raven. His eyes, verse 12, are as the eyes of doves. 13, his cheeks are as a bed of spices. 14, his hands are as gold rings. 15, his legs are as pillars of marble. 16, his mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. O daughters, back at them now. O daughters of Jerusalem. And as she answers him continuously, they have to listen until verse 1 of chapter 6. The question is asked, Whither is thy beloved gone? He had been there. He had talked to her. Now he had disappeared. Maybe he had taken a chance. We don't really know. Solomon doesn't explain. But perhaps the shepherd had been there, he had encountered her and spoken to her, maybe he saw that it was now far too dangerous, so he had slipped away, and the other maidens asked, Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside? You said all these beautiful, powerful things about him. What happened to him that we may seek him with thee? We'd like to take another good look at him, in fact. And then she responds in 6. Chapters 6, verses 2 and 3. My beloved has gone down into his garden to the beds of spices to feed in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's. And here is one of the most powerful verses in the whole song. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. In other words, no matter where he is or how far away he is, I am his and he is mine and I'm not worried about his faithfulness to me or about his love for me. Wherever he is, he feedeth among the lilies. She 
continues. And then in verse 4, the scene changes again, and here comes Solomon. Solomon enters the picture again in chapter 6, verse 4, and he starts his spiel. Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Tirzah, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. Turn away thine eyes from me. Now Solomon ought to be ashamed. He's saying, you're so beautiful, sister. Don't even like his standing. Turn away your eyes from me, for they have overcome me. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear upon Gilead. Thy teeth are as a flock of sheep. Now here he comes with the sheep business. Thy teeth, but he's already, her lover's already been there and said, Solomon, for all of his expertise, Solomon is kind of playing second fiddle here. He says, thy teeth are as a flock of sheep which go up from the washing, verse 7, as a piece of pomegranate. Yeah, we saw that before already. Thy temples within thy locks. There are threescore queens and fourscore concubines. I have 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. In other words, he said, look, look, lady, look, lady. <laughs> I got, and this must have been young in his young years, because in 1 Kings 11, 3, it says he had 300 wives and 700 concubines, or vice versa. So he had 1,000 by kings. But here, he's just admitting to, to 80 plus 60. So this must have been the young Solomon. There are three score queens and four score concubines and virgins without number. My dove is undefiled. He's really laying it on. He's complimenting her. You undefiled. You a virgin. You're undefiled. She is the only one of her mother. He knows her pedigree. She is the, you're the only daughter. You have brothers. She is the choice one that bear her. The daughters saw her, speaking of these women in his harem, and blessed her. Yea, the queens and the concubines have praised thee. Who is she that looketh for fair as the morning as the... Oh, and he goes on and on and on. But it does absolutely no good. For in verse 7 of this 8 chapter song, in verse 7, chapter 1, something else happens. Something else very good happens and that is that her praise is exaggerated or her praise is promulgated she is pushed to the top of the heap as the best and most beautiful of all women and Solomon himself could not with all of that make any headway with her Actually, he continues in chapter 7 down to verse 10, and he says, How beautiful are thy feet. And verse 2, Thy navel is like a round goblet. And verse 3, Thy breasts are like two young rows that are twins. And then verse 4, Thy neck is a tower of ivory. And verse 5, Thy head upon thee is like Mount Carmel. Verse 6, How fair and how pleasant art thou, O love, for delights. And he continues. And verse 9, here's one. And the roof of thy mouth. Now what's he know about that? <laughs> the roof of thy mouth like the best wine for my beloved. Now he, he didn't know anything about the roof of her mouth, but he's imagining. He's imagining. And it's in verse 10 that the scene changes radically. For here, once again, 
Once again, the lover shows up. This is the second time. But between verse 9 and verse 11, she answers Solomon, who has finished all of these verses from 6, 4, down to 7, 9, praising her. And what does she say when he's finished with all of this, all of this flattery? She says, I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. She refuses to give in. She's not giving in one inch. And when Solomon finishes talking about her character, her body, her virginity, her beauty and all of its respect, she comes right back at him and she's not moved one inch. She says, I am the shepherd boys. The shepherd lover has my affections and he is mine and I am his. And right after that, verse 11, Solomon writes another part of the song. And it reads like this. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Here again the lover appears. He comes back the second time. And let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish and the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. The mandrakes give a smell. And at our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid out, which I have laid up for thee, O oh my beloved. And then she answers in the beginning of the last chapter, verse 1, chapter 8, Oh, that thou wert as my brother that sucked the breast of my mother. When I should find thee without, I would kiss thee. What she's saying is, if you were my brother, I would kiss you publicly. Because nobody would take offense. But you're my lover, I can't do that in public. But if you were, I would kiss you publicly. Yea, I should not be despised. I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine and the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand should be under my head and his right hand should embrace me. And then she looks and says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, the rest of the harem in here, that ye stir not up. No, wake my love till he please. Let him rest. And then in verse 5, the journey home begins. Evidently, by this time, Solomon has given up. He's done all he could. He said everything he could. And the lover has come the second time, and they're about to go back home to the village. And verse 5 reads, Who is this that cometh from the wilderness, leaning upon my beloved? This is what the villagers say when they see the Shulamite maid coming home with the shepherd lover all the way back from Jerusalem, they say, here comes the bride. She's been gone all this time, and we don't know what's happened, but he's made his second trip down there, and now they're coming back to the village. Here comes the bride, and here comes the groom. And the reading goes, I have raised thee up under the apple tree. This is the village, the corporate village. They had seen her under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. We see where your mother had had you many times lecturing you and comforting you. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. And verse 6, Solomon makes another radical change in the song because here he has the sweet little, the sweet young lady 
demanding of her lover a recommitment of his affection and she says to him set me as a seal upon thy heart as a seal upon thine arm you see back in bible days when you were going to have a stamp you would tie it on a string on your arm and it wasn't like a tattoo it was a, an attachment of some kind that they kept when they had to be ready to seal a document and she continues for love you know, Solomon was, was a great lover, and he sure did say a lot of sweet things. And, and the shepherd boy said a lot of sweet things. But listen to this woman. Listen to her. Set me as a seal upon thy heart and as a seal upon thine arm, for love is as strong as death. A lot of husbands and wives would do better if they believed this, if they understood this. Love is as strong as death, and jealousy is as cruel as the grave, and the coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Love has a vehement flame. Many waters, verse 7, cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly uncontemned. Brethren, go home and read this again and get in a room and talk to your wife. And wives, go home and talk to your husband. And, and learn from the Song of Solomon the beauty and pathos and the depth of true love. And the next verses go on to read, and these are the words of her brothers because uh, she had grown up and left. And now they were saying, we have a little sister and she hath no breast. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken of? She remembers when she was a little girl and her body had not developed. And her brother said, what are we going to do with her? She's a little girl now. She's singing in the children's choir. What are we going to do when she gets to be a grown woman? 17, 18, 21. What are we going to do with her when she's fully developed? Verse 9, if she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. In other words, if she's like a wallflower and she's not sociable and nobody wants her, we'll keep her, we'll put a wall around her. But if she be a door, in other words, if a lot of men keep coming in and out, we'll enclose her with boards of silver. We'll lock her up so she won't get in trouble. And then she goes on to say, I am a wall and my breasts like towers. Then, was I in his eyes as one that found favor. Solomon planted a vineyard in Baal Hamon. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Every one of the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver and so forth. And the whole story ends in verse 13 and 14. Thou that dwellest in the garden, the companions hearken to thy voice. Now they're back home from Jerusalem, the bride and the groom. And he is busy talking to the boys. That's what the text is indicating. He's talking to his companions. And the last verse of Solomon's song says, and she's speaking, Haste, my beloved. Haste, my beloved. Hurry up. And be thou like to a roe or a young heart, like a deer upon the mountains of spices. Now what does all this mean to you and me? A look at the main characters helps make the answers clear. First, 
The Shulamite woman represents the church. The bride of Christ. Who is in love with Christ. That's what this song of Solomon is really trying to indicate. The Shulamite woman represents the church. The woman represents the church. And the way she loved her groom is the way the church is supposed to be loving Jesus Christ. That's the story. And if I stop there, the point is made. This woman with this undeniably obsession for her lover represents the way you and I in the church of God are supposed to be in love with Jesus Christ. And every beautiful thing she said about her lover, we ought to be able to say about Christ and a thousand things more. He is more lovely than the roses of Sharon. He is more lovely than the lilies of the valley. He is more lovely than a thousand forests of Hebron. The Shulamite woman represents the church and as she was there in captivity longing for her lover we find ourselves here in this world longing for Jesus to come that's the meaning we're here longing to be with him she was there hoping he would hurry up and come she wanted to see him so badly you and I should be longing lusting to see Jesus to come here we are living between the already and the not yet. Living between the present and the future. Here we are in this strange land, long to go home with Jesus. And we, the church, the Shulamite woman, should have as our most pressing, our most urgent, our most, our most precious and wonderful thought that someday our lover will come and rescue us from this terrible world. Lesson number two, Solomon represents Satan. Satan who tries to divert the church's love from Jesus. Satan who tries to sidetrack us by worldly pleasures and worldly fame and worldly excitement. Satan who competes with our attention. Satan who competes for our affections. Satan who says all the beautiful slippery things he can to take our eyes off our lover Jesus Christ. Satan who would capture our time and our money and our talent and our loyalties and loves. Satan who wishes to dazzle us with worldly concerns and worldly problems so that we will forget that we are strangers in this land and that our true love belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen. Third, the brothers in the song who tried to discourage the maiden earlier, the brothers represent the people in the church who try to pull us down. The brothers represent individuals in the church who were never converted or who once were converted but who have lost their first love of Jesus Christ. Do you know that there are some people in the church represented by the Shulamite woman? There's some people in the church that the devil brings in the church? The book Evangelism Ellen White says that in every major baptism 
the devil plants somebody. There are people in the church who were purposely brought in by Satan just to discourage you. People who would pull you down with false doctrines. And by the way, anybody looks on the internet and finds a whole bunch of junk about Ellen White, this and that, and the Adventist church being the cult, those people are trying to pull you down. And what you tell them is get thee behind me, Satan. God has given us the truth. The church has the commandments. The church has its policies. And you don't need to go to the internet to find out what some angry Adventist has to say about the Seventh-day Adventist church. The most bitter opponents the church has are those people who used to be Seventh-day Adventists, but they didn't get the positions they wanted. They didn't become big shots like they wanted. Or they did something else wrong and they are no longer with us so they start writing books and sending something around 2025 or whatever that's all about. There are those in the church who will discourage you. Number four, the maidens who were the part, the other part of Solomon's entourage represent the people outside the church who would discourage us. It's good to be social, we have to be friendly we should not be as a church shut up here on this corner of Jay and Doolittle all by ourselves coming in and out of these doors every Sabbath, not opening up to the public, not out there knocking on doors, making friends, not being concerned with the problems of our community. We're here to serve the community as much as we are ourselves. But as we are social, we must be social to save and we cannot let the joys and ways of the world mold us or change us from the peculiar people that God has ordained we be. Number five, the companions who were talking to the groom when he got the bride out of Jerusalem and took her back to the village and she had to say, come on, hurry, let them go. Those companions represent the legitimate relatives and friends and family we have, good people with whom we associate but in the matter of love and marriage, you have to let everybody go and stick to your love. And that's what Jesus meant in the beginning when he made man and woman and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave only. And I would say to parents, to, to, to spouses here today, that nobody in the church or out of the church should come before you and your mate. Your mate. Nobody. And there are times when we have to put everybody else in the background and we cleave unto our lovers. And that very phenomenon is illustrative of the way that Jesus is trying to tell us in this song that there are even good things, even good things out there in society you'll have to let go if they're dragging you down from loving me like you ought to. There may be legitimate pursuits, but if they interfere with our prayer life and with our study life, there may be legitimate persons whom we love, but their attitudes and ideas are destructive 
to peace and unity and the love that we need and the growth that we must have in Jesus, we must be willing to let everything go. The young groom had to let everything go. And the Shulamite woman said, come here, make haste, come quickly. And Jesus is saying to us, make haste, come quickly, turn to me. The mother who sealed the deal under the apple tree represents the Holy Spirit who woos us, instructs us, and seals the relationship that we have with Christ. And the shepherd, the shepherd lover of the Song of Solomon is the groom, and that groom is Jesus who says of himself in John 3, 29, that it is the bridegroom who has the groom. Jesus is the bridegroom. He saw us captured by Satan, and he left heaven and came and showed us his love. He took risks that you and I could never imagine. When he came down from glory and he planted his feet on Mother Earth, he brought heaven down to where we were in captivity. And he proved Satan a liar. He proved him a cheat, an imposter, and a murderer. And by dying upon the cross, he proved that love is not only as strong as death, but that love is stronger than death. Love is stronger than death. Love will overcome death. Love will accept death. And today, he occupies a higher court in the kingdom of God above. A court a million times more splendid than Solomon's court. And he wants us there with him. And he is coming back the second time. And he says, when I come, it is that where I am, there ye may be also. And now he's getting ready, church. He's coming, this groom. He's going to rescue us from Satan's space. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, Verses 6 and 8, we read, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. The marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Here comes the bride. Here comes the bride. You and I constitute the church, which is the bride. And Jesus says, I want you to get ready. I want you to be prepared. And look at the preparation he wants. Verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. God is getting us ready. He wants a pure church. He's not going to come for an adulterous woman. And I just don't mean, I don't mean just sexual adultery. He's not coming for a church that's engaged in spiritual adultery where their love is for something else and somebody else abundant life. He's coming for a church that's fully engrossed and obsessed with his love. And he says, I know you'll never be perfect abundant life 
because you were born with these unholy vibes, these unholy drives. And the only way you can do right, abundant life, the only way you can do right is to read your Bible and study every day. And that will keep all those evil urges at bay. That will keep them down. And conversion will be yours if you study this book because I'll keep you by my grace and I am able to keep you from falling. But finally, abundant life. You are not saved by what you do or don't do. You are saved by the robe of Christ's righteousness. Because no matter what you do, bride of Christ, it will come from this unholy body. So it's tarnished. That's why the Holy Ghost has to take our prayers, Romans 8, and fix them up. That's why the pleas of God's children are no good unless flavored with the perfume of Christ's righteousness. Jesus says, I will give you my robe, pure white linen. And I think I see it. I see this Jesus who risked all to save us, who died upon the cross and shed his blood, that we might be bought from Satan's clutches. I see him with his children now. And I think I see him taking his children home through the stratosphere and the ionosphere. And I think I see those other worlds as the children of God go sweeping by. I think I hear them saying, here comes the bride. Here comes the bride. The bride of Christ that has come through great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Here comes the bride. And Jesus gets his people up to the gates of glory. I can see justice and mercy opening those gates. I can see Jesus, the groom, leading the church in. And I can hear him saying to the Father and the angels in glory, here comes the bride. Their mortality has been changed to immortality. Their corruption to incorruption. And he who loved us with an everlasting love will sing. Zephaniah 3.17 says, he will sing. Now, it's true, Revelation 15 says, we will sing, not Solomon's song, that's just an illustration, but in the earth made new, God's people will sing a new song, and it is the song of Moses and the Lamb, the song of how we got over, how we came through, and the Bible declares it when we sing that song of Moses and the Lamb. We will lift our voices and say, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb to receive power and glory and honor because He loved us. He loved us enough to leave glory. He loved us enough to hang upon the cross. And He loves us enough right now to stand before the Father with His robe and His blood. And we will sing to Him but Zephaniah says, he'll also sing over us. Sing over us in beauty. Sing over us in glory. That's extravagant love. That's everlasting love. That is irrational love. You can't explain it. That is the love of Jesus. 
dear brothers and sisters, that love is offered to you and me today. It is compelling, but it's not irresistible. As great as this love is, you can turn it down. I choose that love. How about you? I choose to accept that love. I choose it because it puts a song in my heart. It puts a light in my eye. It puts joy in my soul. It puts hopes in my hope in my bosom. It puts a staff in my hand. And if I die before the groom comes back, because I live loving him, it will put eternity in my bones. And I can't help loving God like that. Do you love him today? Do you thank him for that love? Do you want to declare your love once more? If so, would you stand with me while we pray? And let this be our resolution, our response. you for Jesus. We thank you for his love. Forgive us for wounding that love. Forgive us for understating that love. And as we stand to rededicate ourselves today, it is with the promise that we will let nothing separate us from the love of Jesus. May we understand, as the bride of Christ, that we must get ourselves ready. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we never dismiss this service without opening the doors of the church. There are those here today who are not already members of this unit of the bride. And you would like to be a part of those who keep the commandments of God? can't help but love a Jesus like that and I'd like to belong to a group of people who not only claim to be the bride of Christ but who by their experience and by prophecy and by their obedience to the Ten Commandments are demonstrating their love to Jesus. Raise your hand where you are and you can say yes to God today. That love is flowing in this room. Who here but not already a member of the church members, but you're not a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Commandment Sabbath-keeping church, and you know you should be. Just come right now. God bless you, Brother Pastor. Let the church say amen. amen. Who else? Who else? You're not already a member, but you want to take that step. You want to join our brother who's come already. Do I see your hand? Young man, young woman, boy or girl, man or woman. Dear Father in heaven, we can't really understand the depth of that love. But we review just one example in the word today, just one illustration of the way it works. And we pray that the memory of the Song of Solomon will forever enhance our understanding and that we should each leave him more settled in that love and more determined that nothing can separate us from that love than ever before. And we thank you for hearing us and we 
thank you for accepting us. Let all the people say, Amen.